What's up, movie lovers? Welcome to episode number 10 of Ready Play Movies, your weekly source for everything that's new and exciting in the world of entertainment. Every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific or 9 a.m. Eastern, we discuss the top news of the week, notable releases, what we're watching, big topics of the industry, and the movies we love. If you want to write anything to be read on the show, send us an email to readyplaymovies at gmail.com or hit us up at Ready Play Movies on Twitter. No matter where you found us, please subscribe to the feed so you can get every new new show directly to your device as soon as it posts. And if you like it, please leave us a nice review. View. This is March 16th, 2021, and I'm your host, Louis Menchaca, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Mr. Troy Bracey. Yo, what's how's everybody going? It's good to be back, good to be doing this show, and let's let's talk about a lot of movie news today. Yeah, so in preparing for today's show, we actually do have a lot of show to talk about. Last week was a slow news week. This week is the complete opposite. We've got too much things to talk about. There's literally news in every segment. There's news in uh, and sharing, uh, not sharing the love. I was going to say there's news in uh, Check This Out. There's news in Topic of the Show. So we don't have a whole, whole lot of time to dilly-dally. So let's go ahead and first start off with some housekeeping. So for housekeeping this week, I decided to basically use this as an editorial section because we fucked up a lot last week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm gonna point the, I'm gonna point to you first, Troy. I'm gonna just go ahead and put you on blast because <laughs> last week, last week you were like, "Yo, check out this movie on Amazon Prime. It's called Coral. It's awesome." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "What's Cor- Coral?" I'm like, "I'm thinking to myself, I never, I never, I'm not, have I not heard of this? Okay, okay. It must be some, oh, it, must, it must be man. some deep cut, man. It has to be some deep cut, man. You could have at least given me a, a, a like a context clues that the movie was about like a, a like a parents with sewing up buttons and stuff and i would have been like oh yeah Coraline," you know <laughs> well yeah man it's funny because as i was saying that you know how you have a feeling something ain't wrong ain't right it's like as i was saying that something didn't sound right but at the same time i just thought that was what it was but as i read over it as i read over the doc i seen that i was that fuck up and i was like oh shit <laughs> and i immediately realized oh yeah i, I said that wrong yeah, it's all right. And then I also, I fucked up a lot. I have uh, three news uh, updates. Uh, one of them was I actually gave you like a caveat. Like I didn't know what was going on last week. I was like, uh, I was confused. So we'll get to that here in a moment. But the first thing was, is we talked about Raya's box office for the opening weekend. And one of the things that I completely forgot to neglect in, in reporting the uh, opening weekend and how disappointing it was, is that the, uh, the, the, there were two theater chains that were not playing Raya and the Last Dragon in theaters. Uh, Cinemark was the is the number three uh, U, uh, chain in the U.S. and uh, they did not uh, exhibit uh, Raya and the Last Dragon at all because they uh, didn't want to play ball with Disney's like um, strong arming tactics. Because when it comes to like a revenue split. Um, you know, theaters, they don't, they get a cut of the box office. They don't get like a, they don't get all the box office. Some of it goes to the studio like Disney or Warner Brothers or Fox, whoever made the movie. And the thing is, and ever since the pandemic got happened and ever since these, these uh, uh, companies started doing uh, digital releases, like on like, you know, with Disney, with the uh, all access, Disney all access thing or whatever they call it. And then like HBO, Warner Brothers with HBO Max premieres and stuff. What they're doing is, uh, they're like, fine, okay, since we're not exclusive to theaters, we're just going to do is we're going to give the movie theater company a bigger cut of the percentage of the box office to, like, basically give them good, like, good faith. Yeah. And apparently Disney was not about that. They were, like, trying to do, like, pre-pandemic revenue splits, and Cinemark was like, we're not going to do that. So they held their ground. Uh, Cinemark uh, did not exhibit um, the... Uh, Araya, as well as the fact that uh, the second uh, theater chain was, what's the second? Is it, is it a United Artist? No, that's not it. 
I can't remember the second. Uh, I forgot the name of the second theater chain, but the second uh, biggest theater chain in the in America is also still closed because they they're they're closed during the pandemic because they're saying that the the box office isn't healthy enough to sustain their their business, so they're just closed. So that leaves only AMC to like to basically uh, as far as like a national theater chain to exhibit them, and so that can help explain why it was underperforming compared to Tom and Jerry. So, um, with that additional context, do you uh, what do you feel about the uh, those numbers? I mean, it, it doesn't really change the uh, it doesn't really change the situation that much. I mean, I I understand, I I agree with Santa Mark, but in their you know how they handled that, I, I definitely agree. But I don't think it would have changed it that much. You know, what nobody ain't interested in Tom and Jerry. It's a bad movie, and on top of that, like again. again you know the pandemic isn't out it isn't over yet so true and and once that once it's completely over then you know we can start un, you know really gauging these box office numbers and stuff like that but i don't think it would have made that much of a difference it probably would have made like 500,000 more or some <laughs> shit like that some irrelevant amount of num- money yeah so the the second by the way i just did a quick google search here the second biggest uh theater chain is uh is regal regal cinemas is currently closed right now uh like because they tried reopening during the during the pandemic and they were like this is not good like there there's not enough foot traffic kind of thing so uh the third the next thing on the list for housekeeping is is that i had uh said last uh last week that a quiet place part 2 was when it was delayed from like april which was i was i thought it was supposed to come out next month and then it was uh pushed to like may 28th which was uh uh fast 9's opening weekend uh, and so I had made the assumption that it was supposed to be April, but that was actually not the case. It was April of last year when it got delayed. Mm-hmm. It never had an April release date. It actually got um, the opposite of delayed. It got moved forward in time because it was originally supposed to come out in September of this year. So what that signifies to me is the fact that it's being uh, you know, pushed forward into time, like getting closer. That, that means that studios are starting to think that that pandemic-wise, things are getting better. The box office is going to be in a healthier place. People are betting big that, you know, from a from a box office perspective, you know, business will be back to normal. So, uh, does does a Quiet Place Part Two coming out sooner than, rather than later? What does that uh, say to you, Troy? I mean, it says they're confident in the movie. Like, I'm not gonna lie, not every move should be to move everything back. You know, I think that's what everybody think they should do just because of the pandemic. It's like, let's move our uh, big money movie out of this pandemic. But when some situations it's better to, you know, go ahead, and put it out there. You know, like you see what happened with Godzilla versus King Kong. They actually moved it forward, you know, instead of pushed it back. So, you know, with some movies, I think it's just good overall for the movie, um, the whole movie genre, the whole movie experience, and as a whole, to, for some movies to play this, to get people excited about movies again, and get people to start to want to go back to the theater. So, you know, um, I think it's a good move. All right, cool. All right, and the last uh, thing, and this is the thing I was hinting about, is, is it was regarding coming to America when I was reporting Trash. charts. <laughs> Wait, you watched it? Yeah, I seen it. Okay, we'll get to that in a second here, but hold that thought. Uh, when uh, watching Coming to America, uh, we were talking about the Amazon Prime charts and stuff and why it didn't debut uh, on the charts. And there was a reason for that. And apparently, 
uh, since Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime, like Amazon, when their charts, when they give out their their charts, they're talking about money, movies that made money. Uh, like when you rent it or buy it, you know, you're paying money out of pocket to, you know, rent these movies or watch these movies, right? With coming to America, because it's a Prime exclusive, it's basically free to Prime to Prime members. You don't have to pay for it. You just, it's part of your benefits for being an Amazon Prime customer. So as a result, coming to America doesn't actually make money for Amazon. It's just a perk for, you know, being a, a Prime member. So what ends up happening is the coming to America is not eligible to be a part of that Amazon charts that we, that we report on this, on this podcast because of that. But Amazon actually gave out a press statement uh, to the press talking about how Coming to America was the most watched streaming movie on opening weekend since the pandemic began. Oh, so here's, wow. their, here's a quote that I got from Slash Film. Amazon Prime Video announced that Coming to America made several major streaming achievements on its opening weekend. It was the number one streamed movie on the weekend, as well as the number one opening weekend of any other streaming movie in 2021 thus far. And most impressively, it was the number one opening weekend an opening weekend of any streaming movie in the past 12 months. Mm. Now, with all of these titles under its belt, um, Quality of the movie aside, what do you think? Is this a, a win for Amazon, like that people were watching it like big time on that first weekend, or uh, what do you what do you make of that of those statements? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big win. It's a big win because that's all you can ask for. Like like we don't really know how these streaming service gauge success, how they gauge the money they make. We don't fully understand that. At least I don't. But one thing we do know is the obvious. If a lot of people watch that shit, that's good for them. You know, like that's all we know, you know, and uh coming to America has been getting a lot of buzz, you know, just over the last few months. So it, it you know, I was kind of shocked that it wasn't doing as well, at least at first as I thought it wasn't doing that well, because even if it's bad, it still had a lot of buzz leading up to it, you know. So yeah. this makes a little more sense that it's actually being more watched than I thought. And on social media, it actually has mixed reviews. It's not all bad. You got some people liking it um, and you got some people thinking it's trash. All right, we'll get into impressions here in a moment here. So the last thing I want to say for housekeeping, and this is the big the big item, is that next week's episode, episode uh, number 11, is going to basically, we're going to do another behind the scenes, another BTS. BTS number two is coming, basically. Um, I was not uh, expecting it to be so quickly and stuff, but, you know, with, with how successful uh, BTS one was, uh, we're going to do another special episode. We're going to be throwing out the format. We're not going to be doing news. We might be doing news. I don't know. But basically, it's going to be a different uh, kind of show. Uh, we're just going to make it up as we go along, I guess. But uh, we have, I have, uh, Troy and I, we have uh, very special plans for next week's episode. You know, I don't want to, like, ruin it for you guys. Well, actually, you know what? I'll do, I'll say this. Uh, we're going to have uh, two other guests on the show, and it's going to be on video. So you'll be able to watch uh, the show like as a video for uh, a video podcast on YouTube. So that's going to be the two two of the the things that we can talk about now. But for now, I just want to keep uh, the, you know what we're going to be talking about under wraps, and just say you know be on the lookout for next week. And uh, Troy, are you excited for next week? Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for next week. You know, it's always fun to do something a little different and you know get more voices on. And you know we're gonna have a lot to talk about. So yeah, I'm definitely excited. Oh, yeah, we're definitely going to have a lot to talk about, especially with next week. We're going to be giving impressions for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as well as the Snyder Cut. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a treat. So 
with all that said, let's go ahead and get into some impressions here. Uh, Troy, because we talked about coming to America, I want you to uh, go first because I gave my impressions of coming to America already, and I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to remember what I said about it on the... I, okay, this is what I vaguely remember what I talked about uh, when I said my thoughts, my piece, was that I was mixed on it. I was like, there's, it's cringy, but, you know, it's a fun time, you know, as, as my, my ultimate, like, you know, boiling it down to one, one sentence. So what are, your, what are your thoughts on the movie? Well, see, I think it's trash, but I will say this, though. Like, there's a few moments, like three different moments, where it have you actually gut-busting laughing. You know, right. Um, I agree. And uh, and I mean, for a comedy, that's that's I think that's its goal to make you laugh. So as a movie, I think it, it's not that good. I agree with you. It's, it's kind of cringy in, in certain moments. Um, not well executed story, but it is a few different moments where you do be on your ass laughing. You know, one involving a barbershop. And it's like, I just think, you know it felt like they were just trying to relive the past, you know? And, uh, that's why I'm not a big fan of these, these type of these movies either, because it's like, if you do something, if you do shit, that's too different from what you did before, then it's like, Oh, you know, your, your, um, your fan base, your, your core audience is like, Oh, it's too different. I don't like it. But then if you try to, you know, be the same. It's like, ah, you trying to, you know, do a bootleg version of what you did before. You know what I mean? So you, you can't, it's really a lose, lose type of situation when you remake like, or make a sequel to movies that are like 20 years old. You know, we're seeing that a lot lately. Um, but you know, I think Eddie Murphy did a damn good job. You know, Eddie Murphy was Eddie Murphy. So if you just coming to see coming to America for Eddie Murphy and his performance, you're going to be satisfied. I honestly think he brought it, but, uh, overall, I didn't really like it that much, but I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's a complete waste of your time. I will say that. Yeah, I agree. So we, we, we agree on this. Like, like, like I said, like there were moments that it had its shine and stuff. And, but overall, like, I don't know. I'm glad I didn't have to pay money for it. Cause like I'm already an Amazon prime member for the shipping, not so much for the prime video. So, you know, yeah. it just, it worked out for me, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah. anyways, uh, I got I, wa I watched two things. Actually, I only watched one thing this last week, but I completely forgot about last week. I completely forgot to uh, do my rant on Tom and Jerry. So I watched Tom and Jerry, and I got to say, that movie, horrible. Like, Ooh. what the fuck? Like, I was super, like, like I was, my, my I had, like, a figurative, like, j jaw to the floor kind of stuff, like, completely, like, in shock and utter just amazement of how terribly you can write these characters damn like oh my god this is so terrible like okay <sighs> they made jerry or yeah, they made jerry he's the mouse uh to be a total asshole he they made him into a thief you know he stole uh a really expensive ass engagement ring from like one of the humans in the movie and stuff like that just straight up stole it and it's like one of those expensive, like million dollar ring kind of shit because they were like a married, like a socialite couple and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell? Why is he being a total asshole? He like literally screws up. Uh, he screws up Tom's like Tom is just trying to get his hustle on and trying to like become a a, 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 a famous piano player, you know, in New York City. And, and then Jerry just comes in there, fucks up his routine and then makes Tom accidentally break and uh, break his keyboard in half. And I'm like, why are we rooting for Jerry? You know, like, <laughs> Jer J normally Jerry is the one that everyone loves and stuff like that, but he totally deserves worse. Like, 
I, I, I'm just in total like, like, in shock about how they just ruined these characters, and just made Jerry to be, and and Tom also, by the way, he's not he's not that like innocent either. But they basically made a lot of these characters, including some human characters and stuff, into utterly despicable, deplorable characters that you just really you don't want to root for at all. And if anyone who 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 does root for any of these characters, they they just don't have any modicum of like critical thinking is what I'm thinking like and mm. I, don't, I don't I don't mean to like belittle people and stuff but like they're, they're, they're terrible people straight up the the Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz's character is a con artist and we're supposed to root for her yeah like she totally screwed somebody out of a job just because of her whims and stuff like this is just there's like oh my god I am I'm holding back I have way more things to say and I don't want to give a full-on review but just in general the movie was not that funny it was, Damn. you know, it was, yeah. And on top of that, I'm going to give away the ending. Tom and Jerry become friends at the end. That just <laughs> does not make any fucking sense. That does not make any fucking sense because <laughs> if, if kids grow up watching that thinking that this behavior is okay, this is how codependent relationships, you know, get created. Uh, yeah. Okay? <laughs> Damn, man. That's fucked up. Yeah, man. I, I mean, you're not the only one. Everyone thinks this movie bad. And I mean everyone. I haven't heard a single person... Critic or nor, or uh, audience member like like this movie, so you're not the only one. I haven't seen it yet. Oh my god, I gave it my pick of the week when it came out, and I was looking forward to that movie. I was like, oh my me god, too. it's gonna be a Tom and Jerry movie. Me too. But no, man, they just ruined it. Yeah, me they too. Me. I'm a I'm a huge. I was a huge Tom and Jerry fan growing up. Oh my god. Okay, and so on to lighter fare, which is actually not very light. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I watched it, um, and what's kind of funny is I literally watched it, like, I started it at, like, 11.45 p.m. on Sunday night, or it was uh, uh, yesterday of day of recording, and because it was going to leave the service at midnight, I barely got it, I barely got it in, and got, I got to watch it, so I'm assuming they mean midnight Pacific time, so I had basically watched it within, like, 30 minutes of that cutoff time, uh, and I was able to watch the whole movie, and, uh, damn, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, dude, the, he did the damn thing. Yeah. And, like, from the moment he's, he shows up on screen in his first, uh, dialogue, it's an, it's, he gives a monologue, like a speech, he gives, like, the most intense, uh, performance ever. He has presence, like on-screen presence, and it like it. You can literally feel it. Yeah. It was and it was it was it was awesome, and I'm glad. Having watched that movie, I'm glad he won the Golden Globe, and I'm rooting for him on the Oscars. Yeah. So um, I, I gotta say that um, I I can't I don't know how to how to explain how, how to you know talk about the movie without giving things away, uh, but it's a very interesting Dark. well put together yeah you know well paced well directed well acted well executed movie and uh you know for anyone that wants to see a riveting tale about you know something that happened based in the on the on the 60s and 70s like you know based on a true story like a, a drama a very intense drama with good characters and good motivations and you know and some conniving plots happening you know this is that, that's where it's at this is some good stuff go watch judas and the black messiah yeah for sure have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it, and it's it's. I think it's the best performance of of the year. No, no, hands down, the best performance of the year. Um, I haven't seen it that uh, that episode where we talked on the Golden Globes. I haven't seen it yet, and uh, and that's why I didn't pick him. But you know, he, he's truly special, man. I gotta I gotta ask you, like, um. I, we're going to get into the topic of the show. The topic of the show is about the Oscars, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya uh, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. 
Wait, now, in what? my opinion, in my opinion, he was the lead actor. Oh man! So, what do you think of like shenanigans of like that about you see, know where do you categorize supporting versus leads? See, this is this is what pisses me off. This, <laughs> no, honestly, like the Oscars will do this anytime, anytime when you have a movie that is a um. It has a deep cast, right? Like it has multiple cast members. An ensemble. An, an ensemble. ensemble. Yeah, that's the word yeah. I was looking for. Anytime you have an ensemble, it gives the the Oscars free range to pick and choose who they want to put as supporting actor so they can have a certain person win. You know, they do this every year. They did it last year with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, Brad Pitt, they make, marked him as a, a supporting actor, knowing damn well he was a co-lead with Leonardo DiCaprio. And you know that this is uh, this is even worse than that. This is just ridiculous that he that he they they I mean have the is the, are you saying this is official? Yeah. So I mean yeah. for the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, let oh me go look goodness. at the best supporting actor actor in a supporting role. Uh, hold on, give me a second. Uh, okay, here we go. A- actor in a super a, a supporting role. Oh, never mind. Never mind. No, 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 no. No, I fucked up. Oh man, I'm about to go nuts because it's like to me, this is clear. Like this ain't even like you know, it's clear. Oh shit! Okay, I fucked up. I fucked up. I fucked up. Yes. Okay. Uh, Both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, both of them are nominated for actor in a supporting role for Judas and the Black Messiah. See that? that, So see that's bullshit. They're doing that because they know for sure. That man should win for best lead actor, but at the same time, they want someone else to win. It, it you know, and you know who that is. You know, who? you know who that is. Sadly enough, you know who that is. What? It's Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick. That, that's Chadwick who it is, Bowles. and that's the honest truth. Like they want to honor that man. They want to honor him because he passed away, and they want to give him the Oscar. But at the same time, they know um, what. Um, What's the name did in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? So they're they're. Uh, I hate the Oscars when they do this. I you know it's ridiculous. Well, so I I I've been hearing like a, a couple years ago. I forgot what movie did this, but then like there was a movie pundit who was talking about how uh, the Oscars would put somebody in the ballot for best supporting nod because they know that they're not going to win in the lead because mm-hmm. the lead is the lead category is too much of a, a stacked category that yep. it's so hard and so competitive yep. that you would rather you would rather just get the surefire win in the supporting category. Yeah, it's, it, and they they're going to have to do something about that man because what it, what happens is it's not fair. Like so everyone in the supporting role this year is going to lose. It's just off the, they're going to lose because you're putting a lead at a person that had lead time amount of time in a lead role in terms of his uh, importance to the story, you're going up against that. And you can't beat that if you're just a supporting uh, character in a movie, right? So now you just screwed over who everyone that was actually a supporting uh, actor in the, in the role. And uh, it's just, it's wrong, man. And uh, they, they do this at least every year, uh, every other year. And it's ridiculous. They need to cut that shit out. Well, I mean, hey, it's politicking, but as far as impressions go, it's still a good movie. Uh, the outside stuff, you know, this is how they play the game and stuff. Which, by the way, I'm pretty sure Daniel Kaluuya went for best lead actor in for his Golden Globe, so that's kind of funny. Yeah. Anyways, let's go ahead and get onto the news. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. So, for the news, uh, 
this week. We actually got five stories to talk about. Uh, the first story I have brought up here comes from Deadline, and it's regarding Peacock. Uh, it says here that Peacock collected $118 million in advertising revenue, revenue in 2020, but it also booked up a startup-style losses of $914 million, which was in line with the company's pre-launch forecast. So basically, they took a, an almost nearly $1 billion loss. So... Um, Given the the situation with regarding the streaming wars, we talked about Disney Plus. We're about to talk about Disney Plus here in the next story. What are your thoughts about uh, Peacock uh, losing basically a billion dollars in 2020? I mean, it's just a huge L. That's all I can really say. <laughs> like, it's a huge L, and um, I, I hate. And, I, and honestly, I hate to see that. You know, I hate to see that. But again, with the streaming services, you know, we can't. As crazy as it sounds. We can't 100% say that this is like something that'll end it all, you know, because I think all streaming services to a certain degree have to go in debt before they can make their money, you know. Um, so, um, and, you know, I'm, I heard Netflix is in crazy debt as well, but they're clearly in debt on purpose. So it's not, you know, you can't say Netflix is doing bad because they're in debt, you know. Uh, but this is a situation where Peacock, a lot of people don't even know what the hell that is. And the name is so atrocious that someone <laughs> might like, oh, Peacock, I ain't get subscribing to that. You know what I mean? So uh, it looks bad, but, you know, we still have to wait and see. So I'm going to go ahead and finish out with the last couple of paragraphs here in the article. It says, Comcast is yet to characterize its active user base or the number of subscribers to Peacock Premium, the tier priced at $5 a month without ads and $10 without. Oh, sorry. So there's a tier priced at $5 with ads and $10 without ads. Uh, NBC Universal told investors that they are targeting 30 to 35 million active users by 2025, with the break even coming a year earlier than that. The company said it expects to spend at least $2 billion in the first two years of, uh, of Peacock, stocking its library and putting original series into development. Two big fish were reeled in during the early part of the year when The Office shifted from Netflix to, uh, to an exclusive streaming deal, um, and NBC Universal reached uh, an exclusive streaming deal with the WWE. Uh, Peacock launched within Comcast's cable and broadband footprint last April before a nationwide launch in July. Initially, the plan was for the Tokyo Olympics to be a key marketing platform for the new service, but COVID-19 forced the games to be postponed for a year. So yeah, the Olympics is uh, definitely gets a lot, a lots of viewers, and I can understand why Peacock wanted to like launch in time for the Olympics, so that way they can like you know explode out, out the gate with like we got this many millions of users and, and, and active wa watchers and stuff like that, or you know ratings are through the roof uh so i know the office was a, we talked about the, uh, how when when the office left netflix how many uh, millions of hours uh they netflix lost um so i i for one i could tell you right now i have not subscribed to peacock yet because i don't really care to watch the office even though i watched like the first season and i thought it was funny i want to watch the rest of the show but i'm like i'm in not really thirsty to go out and watch the office and i'm also not really like um I'm not impressed with the offerings of stuff. They, there isn't exactly one of those like talked about like Mandalorian or WandaVision style shows under the Peacock uh, umbrella that it's like, oh my God, I need to subscribe to the service to watch this show. So until they get that like triple A, like S tier exclusive, uh, this is going to be one of those things where, you know, they're not going to be, I, I'm actually kind of uh, impressed that they're like even targeting 30 to 35 million. And that's going to be like, 
that's 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 a really low bar, but it also kind of feels like a Herculean task considering how little uh, you know this service has to you know show. I don't know. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully things get better. I mean, the the Olympics will be happening this year uh, in here in the summer, so things will probably pick up for them. Yeah. In the meantime, let's go ahead and move on to talk about Disney Plus here. Uh, I have two stories from Disney Plus here, and this one, the first one I want to talk about before we go on is actually an old story that I didn't even know about. But apparently Disney Plus subscription uh, prices are being raised a dollar later this month. So... um, as announced, 2020, Disney Plus will be increasing the prices of both their monthly and annual subscriptions by $1 at the end of this month. Uh, the price of Disney Plus subscriptions will be going up. Since the platform's release uh, in November, November of 2019, users have uh, enjoyed an expansive library of all their favorite Star Wars, Marvel, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Okay. However, as the service approaches the release of highly anticipated movies and TV shows, Disney announced that the current monthly and annual rates will not cut it anymore. On December 10th, 2020, Disney Investor Day presentation announced that an exciting 61-item lineup for upcoming Disney Plus original shows and movies with with everything from Indiana Jones 5 to an upcoming Moana series. Uh, Several of these projects have already been in production, while many have yet to start the the filming, casting, or animation process. However, along with the announcements of all these new projects comes some bad news. The presentation also announced that the users would see the price increase at some point in the spring of 2021. So... That's interesting. Before we get onto the next story about Disney Plus here, what are your thoughts about the the Disney Plus going up in price? Well, at some point, you know, you 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 know that they would have to go up in price at some point. Disney Plus is a fantastic deal. The only thing that annoys me is like that how fast they're going up. You know what I mean? Like give us three, give us a solid three or four years, and then go up. You know. But at the same time, you can't be mad at them because they're coming with it. They're bringing it. You know, when Disney Plus first launched, one of my biggest complaints was they had nothing new. It's like they launched with The Mandalorian and a bunch of old stuff. And, uh, yeah. and, and the streaming service got old quick. But, you know, you can't be mad at them if they're coming with content after content and content. You know, you can't be that mad at them. But I just was like, you know... Let let a few years go by, then you know raise the price. Cause now I feel like you were jipping us. Like okay, while while we don't have nothing, it's gonna be this amount. But as soon as we get some stuff, yeah, then we're gonna raise it on y'all ass. It's like come on now. <laughs> so, but uh, you can't be that mad at them because they're coming with a lot of good stuff. So. So according to comicbook.com, users of all three Disney Plus subscriptions can expect the price to go up March 26th. Uh, for the users on the monthly plan, it'll go from $7 to $8. And those that are bundling uh, Hulu and ESPN Plus with their Disney Plus subscription, it's going to go from $13 to $14. Uh, annual prices come in at $70 a year. Uh, so I got to say that I, for one, am not in the least bit surprised. It's always a bait and switch. You know, they're coming at with like a, like a good value, like, oh, it's just, you know, $7 a month. You know, it's like, you know, that kind of, it's supposed to cut, you know, be undercutting everyone else's prices from Netflix. Cause you know, everyone's already been on the market for a long time and everyone's like expensive and they're trying to show you, they're trying to be showing the, uh, like the. Uh, like we're affordable and stuff like that. We're, we got a good value proposition and I kind of, and I knew it. I called it from like day one, like before they even launched, I was like, Oh yeah, they're just going to go up to like 12, $13 and they're going to do it. They're going to do it by slowly. They're going to do it like a uh, raise it. They're going to do like a little, uh, like a power creep kind of thing where like you're a frog inside a, uh, inside a pot of water and the water's going to boil, but you don't even realize that you're being boiled alive because the temperature is going to go up slowly and slowly and slowly uh, before you realize it's already, before, by the time you realize what's going on, it's already, 
it's already a done deal. So right now, Disney Plus is all about, you know, making their growth happen and stuff like that. It's like a classic bait and switch kind of thing. And uh, I, as much as I don't like it as a consumer, I got to give props because they, they securing the bag, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the real story I wanted to talk about is the fact that Disney Plus is planning to release 100 new titles per year. So um, when this happened, the, the Disney Plus announced that they passed 100 million subscribers. We talked about it last month that they had like 95, 96 million. Uh, so now they're at um, they're at 100 million, and this is gonna this goes towards my prediction. I and I'm actually thinking that I under undersold it now because they did five million five million in a month. Um, I was I was predicting that they're gonna hit 150 million by the end of this year, and they're pretty much on pace, if not for you know further past that pace to hit that. So I'm just gonna go ahead and read some quotes here. Um, it says here uh, from a quote from uh, Bob Chapek, the enormous success of Disney Plus, which has now surpassed 100 million subscribers, has inspired us to be even more ambitious and to significant, uh, significantly increase our investment in the development of high quality content, Mr. Chapek said. In fact, we set, we set a target of 100 plus new titles per year, and this includes Disney Animation, Disney Live Action, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. Our direct-to-consumer business is the company's top priority, and our robust, robust pipeline of content will continue to fuel its growth. So, knowing that, uh, you know, we got, that, we got the big milestone, 100 million, you know, that's, half of, that's already at, they're already half of Netflix's, uh, Netflix's uh, subscriber count, and knowing that they're going to be putting out uh, a lot of original content, you know, does uh, does quantity gonna equal quality for us? Yeah, <clears throat> um, <laughs> because Disney, first of all, Disney don't put out a lot of garbage. You know, they they do have they hiccups every now and then, but Disney usually put out some really good quality stuff, and um, and most of the stuff that they're probably putting out, we're gonna be excited about. You know, I know it's not listed here, but it's gonna be a lot of big name stuff that we're gonna be like, whoa, you know what I mean? So. I think this is great news, and Disney's coming with it. You can't be mad at them for sure. Yeah, I mean, we already know a lot about like you know the the Marvel and Star Wars pipelines and stuff, like all the shows that they they got announced. So we're already like you know jonesing for the next fix, and so I'm gonna be surprised, um, or I'm not gonna be surprised. We're going to be keeping an eye on and see how, how much uh, farther they continue to climb throughout the year. Uh, hopefully, we'll get like an update You know, next month. It's $110 million or something like that or whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I hope that – yeah, I hope that we don't see like a dip in, 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 uh, in, in quality because right now everything that they're making or everything that's been announced so far has been announced with like a sort of purpose, right? And the – the, I don't want to see a situation where like it starts turning into Netflix when there's like you know like you gotta like sort of have to sift through garbage kind of stuff. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so basically I don't want it to be bloat. I don't want it to be like just like content for the sake of content kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So next up, we're gonna talk about Netflix. So man, we're just talking about con like uh, uh, streaming, like just yeah. content streaming right now. But so Netflix is trying to crack down on password sharing. Um, and there's a new test happening. This comes from The Verge. It's another way to tighten security measures, too. So here we go. Netflix has more than 200 million subscribers around the world. And now 
the company is looking for ways to curb password sharing for both business and security re security reasons. A new feature first spotted by Gamma Wire prevents people who are not authorized to use the account from accessing it. A Netflix spokesperson told The Verge, quote, this test is designed to help ensure that people using Netflix accounts are authorized to do so. Uh, close quote. If, Net if Netflix detects that someone is trying to use the account without being uh, an account owner, they'll be asked to verify later or verify being an account owner through an email code or text code. If someone is unable to verify account ownership within a certain time frame, they won't be able to stream any Netflix content. Instead, they'll be asked to make their own account. While this may not prevent all password sharing, hypothetically an account owner could send their friend the code as it comes through, the idea is that it will prevent some password sharing. So, Troy, is this, uh, okay, we're gonna, I feel like we're gonna be, I feel like we need a tiptoe here because I don't want us to be like admitting to anything, all right? But what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> Well, it sucks for me. I'll just say that. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, it surprised me because I felt like Netflix, they should have been cracked down on this. I mean, like, if you think about it, Netflix sharing, sharing Netflix is something that's a common thing. It's not even like it's a secret. Like, let's be real. Like, probably anyone you know that has Netflix some way or another than shared it or are using someone's Netflix uh, password. I mean, it's just that common. And uh, it's just surprising me after all these years that all of a sudden that they, you know, now want to crack down on it. You know, it's, it's just weird to me. But, um, I mean, you can't blame them. You know, again, it's the consumers like us, you know, might be a little disappointed in this new, but the, you know, for them, I, I mean, it makes sense. I understand it. Yeah, so uh, to be fair, also, um, per Netflix Terms of Service, you are allowed to share your password with family members or uh, uh, same household kind of thing. Um, Reed, uh, Reed Hastings, he's one of, the C one of the CEOs of Netflix. He said in a quote, password sharing is something that you have to learn to live with. There's so much legitimate password sharing, like sharing with your spouse or with your, with your kids. So there is no bright line, and we're, we're doing fine as is. So... I'm, I'm assuming that this is going to be a situation where they don't want people who are like just friends, you know, just sharing their password. They, uh, I feel like uh, it, it doesn't make sense to be like, you know, having your Netflix hit different IP addresses other than a VPN, having an IP address where it's like, you know, you're in Texas, but you have a friend in California watching it or whatever. So it's like, you know, why is Netflix being accessed, you know, simultaneously from two different geographic areas at the same time kind of thing? I feel like those things would be much more easier to crack down on. But like if all of your friends and family members are living in the same city as you, that might be harder. Who knows? But, um, you know, I, I don't know. It just kind of seems like the reason why I kind of feel like there's like a tiptoe kind of situation is I feel like even though it's not pirating, it almost kind of feels like when you when you get someone's password, it's almost as if you might you might as well have just been pirating anyways because that's money that uh, Netflix didn't see because you didn't pay them, you know. Yeah, so, but like we don't care about that. Like, come on. Now, <laughs> uh, it says here in this article, it ends with an, an article that says an analysis from Parks uh, Parks Associated estimated that password sharing and piracy cost companies in the streaming space around nine billion dollars alone. So, you know, that's money that could have made uh, that's money that could have gone to Netflix or that, that they where they could have invested in putting out well, even that's more why premium I say, content. That's why I say they should have been cracked down on it. If, I mean, if it's really costing y'all that much, I mean, and which is something's being con 
uh, it's some being conflicted. It's conflicted information. It's some because the we just you just said you know the CEO said it's not that big a deal. We learned to live with blah blah blah. But then you just <laughs> said nine billion dollars like that. That to me, them two completely different things right there. So I mean, I don't know, but it's like if they didn't if they didn't you know do something about this five years ago you know obviously it, it can't be that big of a deal because if i'm running a company and something is costing me billions of dollars that's one of the first things you do is crack down on it you know what i mean so i mean who i'm not saying it's not costing them money it, it definitely is but i don't see how it's a big deal if they haven't done nothing about it all this time yeah I think it's pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's like nine billion for across all streaming services, not just Netflix. I think it's like you know, I'm because Netflix is like the biggest streaming giant out of all of them. I'm pretty sure they got the bigger piece of the pie that they're missing out on. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm not going to be personally be affected by that kind of uh, situation. But um, you know, hopefully things pan out. You know, maybe we'll see. You know, in a couple of years, Netflix will have 300 million subscribers because of whatever algorithms they're going to implement. In the meantime, we'll go ahead and move on to South by Southwest. Um, South by Southwest gets back on track with virtual film festival. So few few film institutions and certainly no film festival experienced a COVID trial by fire quite as South by Southwest did last year. The Mammoth Austin event, inclu- which includes a film festival, a tech conference, and its original smorgasbord of musical performances, was the first major film festival to cancel in response to the pandemic when the city of Austin shut it, uh, shut it down on March the 6th, a week before it was supposed to kick off. It was the first to experiment with the streaming some of its programming online when it partnered with Amazon to present a small selection from its lineup just a month later. It's a testament of how much things have changed and how quickly that South by Southwest's first impromptu foray into virtual festival screenings only saw seven full-length feature opt to participate. So new and untested was the model. This year, the festival, which runs virtually from March 16th through the 20th, boasts 75 feature films. The vast majority of them are world premieres, and a glance at its programming reveals a slate that looks an awful lot like a strong South by South West lineup from before times. So, um, what do you think of uh, a South by Southwest? You know, uh, possibly having a successful virtual uh, virtual show this year. I mean, it's good news because South by Southwest is legendary, and uh, that's where you 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 know you find out all about the future greats you know to come and make this industry even better so it's good that they're back up and running or uh, trying to get the boat running and uh i think it's a good idea i think i hope everything goes well with it actually so i i got a couple of things to say regarding this situation number one i remember talking about south by southwest last year on the gaming podcast because uh there was a lot of gaming panels that got canceled like a like a sonic the hedgehog he was supposed to have like this big blowout at south by southwest and stuff on all those announcements never came uh and uh so i gotta say that I'm very, I'm very happy that you know we're gonna ha- essentially have like a Comic Con at home kind of style situation where you could it could be a success. You know, there's you know there you got I got my fingers crossed for everything to you know they get whatever ratings they need to do or whatever whatever metrics of success that they need to hit. I hope they hit it. You know, I know South by Southwest is a very big deal and it's a huge uh, de- a deal for the local Austin economy. So hopefully when things go back to normal that they can you know continue on um, as a as a viable business. Uh, that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is um, I'm not sure what, if I'm going to be watching anything. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be a situation where I'm going to want to tune in. Like I don't. I, there, this article doesn't even give me like a, a slate of of, uh, of 
I'm gra- of course, this is coming from Variety, but this, ar- this article doesn't give me a good slate of, uh, of things that I want to just go out and, and watch and stuff like that. Apparently, there's some kind of like docu-series from Demi Lovato or s- something with Charlie XCX or whatever, but nothing's like, like oh my God, you need, to, you need to come and watch this or whatever. But uh, yeah, um, hopefully this is successful, and um, I, I really do hope that South by Southwest continues to be financially solvent. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, me too. All right. So the last story that we wanted to hit on here is comes from Collider. Uh, it's regarding Kathleen Kennedy, and it says the title says, "No, Kathleen Kennedy is not being replaced by John Favreau or Dave Filoni," says Disney CEO. So um, there's no truth to the rumors that Kathleen Kennedy is being replaced as the head of D- Lucasfilm. Disney CEO Bob Chapek assured shareholders on an investor call on, th- on Tuesday. Chapek was uh, asked rather bluntly if Kennedy was being replaced. Uh, both of whom, uh, Dave Filoni or uh, John Favreau, both of whom have been building out the Disney Plus Star Wars realm with shows like The Mandalorian and the upcoming The Book of Boba Fett. Taken aback, Chapek responded, quote, we've been absolutely thrilled that we have, let me try that again, we have been absolutely thrilled that we can have the kind of talent like Kathy Kennedy to direct Lucasfilm. We look forward to having Kathleen Kennedy running the Lucasfilm organization for many years to come. Rumors have been swirling about Kennedy being replaced for years, but it has largely just been uh, some wishful thinking on the part of disgruntled fans. George Lucas can choose. Uh, George Lucas chose Kennedy as his successor when he sold Lucasfilm to Disney, and she oversaw the expansion of the Star Wars universe with the new Skywalker saga films, spinoffs, and TV shows. Things got off to a great, pretty. Uh, uh, a pretty great start with the Star Wars The Force Awakens and the first spinoff Rogue One of Star Wars Story, which were huge box office successes. But the Force Awakens sequel, The Star Wars The Last Jedi, rubbed some fans the wrong way, despite the fact that it's a brilliant film, which is according to Collider. So um, first off, I got to say, uh, is this? do you believe that you know Kathleen Kennedy is going to continue to be the head of Lucasfilm, or do you think she's secretly planning on retiring and walking away or quote-unquote quitting on her own accords kind of thing? No, I think she's here to stay. I think she's going to stay because, look, this it doesn't get better for her as a in terms of the situation she's in. That's like quitting a job that pays $40 an hour, and it's just a consistent job for uh, someone like us. You know what I mean? A regular person. That's like quitting a job that pays very well. You know what I mean? And it's just a easy situation. So I don't, I don't think she's going to quit. You know what I mean? I honestly think she's comfortable, and the longer she's doing it, the more she's going to be comfortable with doing it, the more she's going to get used to it. I guarantee she doesn't care at all about these fans, like, bitching at her and stuff like that she doesn't she's not like that that is part of her job to not care what the fans say and the reason why i say that is because when she do something amazing nobody's gonna say oh kathleen kennedy did such a good job but when she does something bad you know all the fans they need someone to blame kathleen kennedy you suck you should nobody wouldn't complain about kathleen kennedy when the force awakens came out nobody was complaining (laughs) about kathleen kennedy when rogue one came out Oh, and nobody's been complaining about Kathleen Kennedy when The Mandalorian came out. Because guess what? She's responsible for that. She hired Jon Favreau. So nobody's complaining when something good happened. People only complain, well, oh, The Last Jedi sucked. Fire Kathleen Kennedy. You know, it's like, yes, she's she's dropped the ball on certain things, but she's done a lot of good things as well. So I don't think that, A, I don't buy into, you know, fans – you know making her want to leave or deciding she 
can do something better. I don't buy into that. And B, I think she is the right person for the job. It's just she needs time to, you know, I think now she's finally getting into her comfort zone. And you could tell by the movies they, annou they announced and the movies and shows that they announced. They're nothing like stuff we've seen before. You could tell they're doing different th stuff. And so I think that's what Kathleen Kennedy needed. She needed to kind of do her own thing instead of trying to like honor this tradition and do stuff that maybe the fans wanted to see and all that, but just really just feel comfortable with just coming up with her own ideas. And she's one of the greatest producers or matter of fact, the greatest producer of all time. So I think she should stay personally. She is the second best producer of all time. Hold on. Who is that? Kevin Feige. Ah, nah. Like, see, because we can't get Kevin Feige that because <laughs> he's only done Marvel stuff. So, like, once yeah. he does, like, once Kevin Feige can do other stuff, then we can give him. Well, Kathleen Kennedy's only done Star Wars stuff. No, her whole career. You know, she's produced probably 80% of Spielberg movies. She's, oh, shit. Yeah, like, she's she got hired by George Lucas, not because he's, she's just a friend of George Lucas. She's done so many Oscar-winning movies over the decades. Like, if you Google the stuff she's produced, you'll be in awe of all of the stuff and masterpieces and classics she's done since, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s and, you know. Damn. Uh, yeah, she's she's an all time great. So I'm no, glad you're here. I'm glad you're able to check me on, on fact check me on that one. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So if it was just Star Wars, <laughs> she wouldn't be in the top ten greatest producers <laughs> of all time. But yeah, I'm talking about before that and what she did yeah. before she got brought on to Star Wars. Okay, well that's fair. Um, I I just got to say that like I'm Kevin Feige gets a lot of credit. You know he he gets a lot of fan love, and I if. I'm pretty sure, like, if I'm Kathleen Kennedy, I would want some of that, too. Like, I would want that fan love. I would want that recognition that, uh, you know, everyone giving uh, giving me credit for that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah, just me sure. personally, though. I mean, but I, and honestly, like, Kevin Feige get a lot of love, but I guarantee you that I don't even think Kevin Feige, I'm not going to say he doesn't care, but he doesn't, <clears throat> I, I guarantee, because, listen, the, the dudes that do stuff behind the scenes, if they get caught up into what fans want and don't want, it'll mess up their whole creative process. So I don't think even as loved and praised as Kevin Feige is, unless he, you know, hears it at like a Comic-Con convention or something like that, I doubt he's like, you know, listening to how much he's loved because... It, it all it takes is three bad movies in a row and people saying, oh, Kevin Feige might need to get fired. Or is, is Kevin Feige <laughs> getting fatigued of Star uh, of uh, Marvel? Yeah, like that's all it takes. Three bad movies in a row or two bad movies in a row. You know, so he I don't think he can get caught up in that. Rather, you know, it's good, you know, feedback he's getting or negative feedback he's getting. I think it's part of those, you know, those people's job, producers job to just kind of do their job, you know. Okay. And also, by the way, this uh, this quote came from an investor call, by the way. Of course, Bob Chapek is going to go and say good things about Kathleen Kennedy. As and that's fact, true. And that's true. As a, yeah. That's as a true. matter of fact, um, to add to the point, um, investors only care about money. They don't care about fans. And Kathleen Kennedy has made billions of dollars for Disney through the Star Wars brand. So they're not going to have a problem with her. Yeah. So let's just go. I'll go ahead and say that right there. Uh, so that about wraps it for the top news here. Uh, next, we're going to go ahead and move on to the extra news. 
and we got uh, 10 things to talk about, and some of them are pretty juicy. They could have just as easily been top news in their own right. Number one, Godzilla vs. Kong toy reveals the true villain. So spoilers, if you go to the show notes, you can click on the link, you'll see who the real villain is on that toy. Uh, number two, Canadian comedy uh, Kim's Convenience is to end with its fifth season. Number three, Creed 3 officially announced with Michael B. Jordan set to direct, and it is set to release in Thanksgiving 2022. Number four, Avatar reclaims the title of the highest grossing film back from Avengers Endgame after a China re-release. Number five, Kenneth Branagh to direct a BG's biopic for Paramount. Number six, LA theaters could reopen within a week with 25% capacity. Number seven, Lord and Miller to produce a movie called Cocaine Bear which is this true story of a 175-pound bear accidentally eating 70 pounds of cocaine in Kentucky in 1985 with Elizabeth Banks directing. Number eight, Dev Patel's direct directorial debut, Monkey Man, sold to Netflix for $30 million. Number nine, the hit Netflix film, Bird Box, has a Spanish movie spinoff in the works. And number 10, Mission Impossible 7 adds Carrie Elwes, uh, Indira Varma and Rob Delaney, Delaney to the cast. Troy, this has got to be like the best selection of extra news I've ever done for this show. It's such yeah. a good one. What do you think about? Uh, is there anything that grabs your attention? Yeah, it's a few things. Um, so first of all, the Godzilla vs King Kong toy reveal, um, revealing that it's Mecha Godzilla. I think. <laughs> listen, I <laughs> I, gotta, I didn't even say that. I hey, did not. I, I like I worded it so I didn't have to say his name. But hey, yeah. listen, listen. I gotta be real. Like, this is a big problem. With this is getting becoming more and more of a problem, man. It's like, look, if you got a toy that's gonna just reveal your shit, you might as well don't even try to keep it a secret. Just put it in the trailer. Even though King uh, Mecha Godzilla was slightly in the trailer, if you look, it's a certain scene where you do see Mecha Godzilla in the trailer. But mm-hmm. I'm just getting sick of toys, of all things, toys <laughs> revealing a big plot in other movie or a big character in a movie it's like okay listen you want to sell toys i get it that's where you're going to make your money well figure out some kind of way to put that don't make it a secret you know you don't got to reveal the the plot of the movie if you reveal mecha godzilla's in the movie but don't try to make it a secret and then reveal it like that that to me that's backwards because now i'm disappointed right now i go from man i wonder what's gonna be in this movie to oh now i know because of a fucking toy so that that this industry got to do something about that that's happening more and more lately it's like it's getting ridiculous that happened in the avengers films by the way with a toy revealing like how a costume of a character would look like or whatever yeah or i mean it's, it's happened yeah. so many times it's getting ridiculous Star um, Wars as well. Um, another one, Creed three, um, with Michael B. Jordan directing it. I don't really like this idea, mainly what? because yeah, mainly because number one, he's never directed anything. Like I just like first of all, look, Creed. I, as much as I liked the first Creed and the second Creed was all right, I felt like Creed is one of these things that shouldn't have been a franchise. It's like if I don't <laughs> understand. You know, again, once one successful movie happens, it's like we got to keep doing sequels. And like, I see this downward trajectory. Like, the first one was really good. The second one was just okay. And now, you know, you got a first time director that's trying to direct and star in his very first movie. That's a lot to do. And he's trying to be the next Ben Affleck. Okay? Yeah, he's trying to be the. <laughs> but see, the difference with Ben Affleck is like Ben Affleck. His first movie, he didn't star in it. You know what I mean? So Gone Baby Gone, he didn't star in that movie. So he kind of got his feet wet by just directing, and then he stepped into doing it um 
and Michael B. Jordan is trying to do it all. So I just feel like there's going to be a disaster disaster waiting to happen unless it's, he has some true hidden talent that none of us knew about. Look, Michael B. Jordan can do no wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's pretty special. <laughs> he's pretty yeah. special. So those were the two that, you know, stood out that I just wanted to talk about. All right. Well, that's an interesting selection. Okay, so I'll just go ahead and pick up where you left off here. At the Avatar situation, the only one who wins oh, is – the only one who wins is Disney because Disney owns <laughs> Avatar now. Oh yeah, so. yeah, yeah, and uh, that's one I wanted to talk real quick about. That's cheating to me. Like, like, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna just re-release it to get my box office back to number one. That's cheating. You know, Avengers Endgame in my mind holds the greatest box office uh, uh, of all time because it's like. Anybody could re-release some stuff and then make their box Titanic off. Titanic could get re-released. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like that's 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 not fair to me. Like to me, that shouldn't count as, as the box office. It should be when the movie first came out. That should like a count. first run only. Yeah, yeah, first run only. That should maybe count as it's like DVD sales or some shit. I don't know, but not you know it's box office. I mean, come on now, that that's not fair. Like if I was in game, I wait ten years and re-release too. You know what I mean? Like or whatever. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, the the Kenneth Branagh, the the Bee Gees biopic, it kind of feels like they're trying to do redo uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And I don't even know if the guys that did Staying Alive can just, their one song, their one big hit song can like support a, a biopic, in my opinion, unless their story is really interesting. But you know what I mean? Like with Bo Bohemian Rhapsody, they had, a, they had a song like every 15 minutes throughout the runtime, like peppered through to keep the audience attention. Well, I mean, unless it's, a, it's about a specific sub, like it's something specific, like how they made their first hit or whatever. And that's like the whole movie, you know, instead of like a like a biopic where you you know going like a whole span of their career you know what i mean yeah yeah so uh that and also i just wanted to say like i was so like taken aback by the the cocaine bear story and i'm like that is that's like the reality is stranger than fiction i just gotta say that, that just that's like, something that I, I want that sounds like an interesting movie i'm not gonna lie because that is just i, I wonder what the tone would be of that like are they going for like comedy like i mean because that's kind of funny in a way but like that could be very serious in a way too so i don't know where they'll go with that but that's an interesting story damn <laughs> phil lord and chris miller they directed the lego movie they produced uh the spider-verse uh animated movie um elizabeth banks she's been a bit of, a little bit hit or miss when it comes to her date directorial stuff like she directed some of the the sequels to the uh the the sequels to the uh, the Pitch Perfect movies and stuff like that. So I don't I don't know. Like uh, I'm glad that you know if Phil Lord and Chris Miller they both they know who Elizabeth Banks is because she was uh, she was Wild Style in uh, the Lego movies. So then they since they directed it they're just basically reuniting kind of sort of so to speak. So uh, yeah, I, I kind of this just the the title Cocaine Bear it just reminds me of like a Judd Apatow movie kind of like in the in the vein of like Knocked Up and like Forty Year Old Virgin and stuff like that so I kind of want to know if that's what they're going for because that just seems so cra crazy trippy and stuff so uh, but yeah that's all the stuff that I wanted to talk about as far as the news goes uh, so let's go ahead and move on to check this out So for Check This Out, we actually have some news to cover, which is going to be an interesting talking points here. Uh, obviously, if you didn't watch the Grammys, there was a new Cruella trailer that debuted during the Grammys. Uh, I, have the sh I have the link in the show notes, as well as the fact that uh, this is a bit like, I think a week or two, uh, this might be a week or two old, uh, but I completely forgot to put this and check this out. 
the the publicity stills that were debuted on on Entertainment Weekly. Um, I have a link in the show notes as well. And so you can watch, you can look at the slides and the article of everything that, that was talked about uh, with uh, with regards to the images from uh, Space Jam 2. So first off, before we get into uh, what I want to talk about regarding Space Space Jam 2, are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward just to see, you know, how far technology has came over the years. You know, I remember that was some, some somewhat revolutionary, like having cartoons and live action at you know interweave together and now they're doing it with this new style of animation and so i want to see you know how lebron james you know i felt like they should have did it with kobe but you know it, it'll, it'll work with lebron james he's truly great so it's fun to see i'm gonna see how good of an actor he can be and uh, I'm, I'm a little bit excited i am i i gotta say i'm looking forward to space jams too I was, i've been wanting this to happen for such a long time but i am a little bit like surprised by the art style because i was expecting like the the art style to be like kind of like with tom and jerry you know and the original space jam to be like animated 2d caricatures and stuff they look like they're doing like 3d cgi uh like sonic the hedgehog or detective pikachu animation and i'm not sure i want that because like the looney tunes for me they're classic you know what i mean I don't think they need to be modernized that way. What do yeah. you think of the art style? I mean, I agree, but you know, um, once I think once it's on screen, that's when you could really judge because it might really work with what they're doing, you know. And I think that art style is so common. I think they're just trying to please the the kids these days. You know, that's one of the things about like when they do movies like this. They're more for the new kids, right? It's more like, you know, all right, y'all old ones, hopefully y'all like it too. Y'all ones that grew up on it, hopefully y'all like it too. But the new kids is the one we're trying to get to the, take their parents to the theater or get their parents to take them to the theater. So we'll just have to see. I kind of agree with you though. Okay. All right. So um, I have two points of discussion to talk about with regards to Space Jam 2. First one I want to talk about is Lola Bunny. There's a thing on Twitter where they're saying that Lola Bunny got nerfed. And there's a side-by-side image of how Lola Bunny looked like in the original uh, Space Jam and how she looks like in the new Space Jam. So the first, I got to say that there's a, there's a little bit of a bait on this one because the one, the image on the left on this, on this Twitter thread that I got pulled up is actually a fan art made, a fan art kind of situation. That's not, it's kind of how she looked like, but they're a little bit exaggerated. Uh, she got some thighs, she got a, uh, like a thin waist and she got some like her chest is kind of popping out all and stuff. And in this newer, this newer iteration, which is the official prom- promotional art, she's like, you know, she's a little bit more dressed up. She's a little bit flatter, you know, I don't know. So do you, do you think that, <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't want to be all like woke feminist or anything like that, but you know, what do you think of the new art style or the new proportions, I guess. So yeah, to speak. I mean, shit, they're not trying to get canceled. I mean, like, <laughs> we live in such cancel culture. Like, I, you know, I, I remember me being a little horny kid, like, looking at her and being like, oh, my God, you know what I'm saying? She was fine. But, you know, I think they don't, you know, how cancel culture is these days. They, you know, trying to make her, you know, a little bit less sexy if you will yeah it's kind of weird but it's kind of but also you know the thing about it is like even though she was all sexy and everything she was also still a strong independent woman like whenever she first got like uh, introduced in space jam one for the very first time bugs bunny was like oh my god dang you're hot and everything was trying to holler at her and then and then he said he called her a doll and she just like schooled him in basketball and said don't ever call me doll yeah i mean i i agree but that's not the point like the point is that you know people will try to say it's overly sexy 
homosexual or if a guy if a guy is the one that drew her oh you know why women have to be so overly like you know how cancel culture is they you know yeah. what i mean they they'll find a reason to make her character a, a problem and then now they gotta edit her out and now it's gonna create a bunch of bullshit so they was just trying to be smart on that one yeah speaking of editing out uh pepe Le Pew was canceled yeah. yeah yeah so check this out uh he starred in the first warner brothers uh movie uh space jam back in 1996 however pepe Le Pew will not be showing up at all in the upcoming theatrical sequel, Space Jam, A New Legacy, on July 16th. With the Looney Tunes' French skunk besieged by controversy in the wake of the New York Times colonist Charles uh, Blow slamming that the cartoon character, quote, added to rape culture, close quote. Deadline has learned that the hybrid live-action animation scene between Jane the Virgin actress Gris Santo and Pepe Le Pew, shot back in June of 2019 for Space Jam 2, was left on the cutting room floor. The Pepe Le Pew character was likely to be a thing of the past. Okay, the Pepe Le Pew character will likely be a thing of the past across all media. Warner Brothers also has no current TV series featuring the skunk and there are no plans to have him appear on Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny Builders, Tiny Tunes Looniversary, or future projects, sources confirmed to Deadline. Uh, the live-action Space Jam 2 scene was filmed by the, the, the pick's first director, Terrence Nance, and uh, as we were first reported in July 2019, Nance left the production uh, with Malcolm uh, Lee taking over. Under the direction of Lee, Pepe Le Pew was eliminated from the sequel, and a while ago, um, and was never animated for the live action footage. Um, he was never animated, but the live action footage was shot. Uh, according to sources uh, who, who saw the rough cut three months ago, they didn't uh, see any kind of cameo by the skunk. Uh, so let, let me go ahead and just skip forward here. Pepe was up, uh, was set to appear in a black and white Casablanca-like Rick's Cafe sequence. Pepe played a bartender starting hitting on women at the bar, played by Santo. He was kissing her arm, which she pulls back, then slamming Pepe into the chair next to hers. Then She then pours her drink on Pepe and slaps him hard, uh, uh, sending him spinning in, in a stool, which is then stopped by LeBron James's hand. James and Bugs Bunny are looking for Lola, and Pepe knows about her whereabouts. Pepe then tells the guys that Pepe, uh, Penelope Cat has filed a, a restraining order against him. James remarks, uh, makes a remark in the script that Pepe can't uh, grab other tunes without their consent. <laughs> that was the original written scene, and even then they were all trying to be me too, like me too about it. And even then yeah. that wasn't good enough. They cut it. Yeah. Oh my God! That's that. I mean, it like I do feel like that that character is a bit weird. You know that that whole like it, it do feel like they were trying to like back then they were representing rape culture. I I really do. But I mean, at this point, it's it's just like, did you really have to delete the character out the whole damn scene and like cancel a cartoon character? Like, really? I don't know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. Like one of the things about Pepe Le Pew is like even as a child, like. They don't even even back then, they're not glamorizing his behavior. They're trying to tell you that his behavior, even back then, that it's not okay. Like yeah. I don't think it really adds to rape culture or anything like that. And right. even this scene itself, the way it was written, in you know, even like LeBron James giving you the more you know speech, I uh -huh. feel like that sends a good message and I don't know why they need to cancel him outright, but you yeah. know, whatever. It's just I feel like the times we're living in is just really it's just too much. Yeah. All right, <laughs> that's enough for check this out. Let's go ahead and move on to topic of the show. 
Yes, topic of the show. Um, we have uh, quite a uh, an interesting topic here uh, in the regards to the fact that the Oscar nominations were uh, were announced earlier this morning, day of recording. Um, we okay. So first off, let's go ahead and get get over some go over some reactions to the Oscar nominations before we get into the actual. Our topic of the show is our prediction special, where we're going to predict who do you think we're going to win. But also, we're going to tone it down because I'm only going to focus in on seven categories this time around instead of like you know so many of them. Uh, that way, we can sort of you know really di- like digest what's going on here. So the first thing I want to pull up is this uh, the CNN uh, roundup here. It says the nominations for the 93rd Academy Awards were announced Monday morning, uh, and women fared well. 70 women across uh, 70 women received a total of 76 nominations, according to the Academy, a record for a given year. Two women, Emerald Fennell and Chloe Zhao, were nominated in the directing category in the same year for the first time. Time, excuse me. Zhao is the first woman of color to be nominated in the category. Mank, Netflix's black and white drama about screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz's development of the screenplay for the uh, legendary film Citizen Kane, led among the nominated uh, with 10 nominations. In light of the discussion around diversity and the Oscars, it is notable that three black men, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, and Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah, were all nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category. Husband and Wife stars Nick Jonas and uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas announced the nominations live from London. The ceremony was delayed due to the pandemic and is set to air on Sunday, April 25th on ABC. So uh, the the nominations, we're going to go over the nominations here in a bit here, but there was something else that I found from Variety and they actually have you know, give an additional context to the categories. Uh, the Oscars nominate, uh, this comes from Variety, it says Oscars nominate most diverse acting slate ever, including the first Asian American best actor. So uh, this year, thankfully, was quite, this is, uh, I'm skipping along to the article here. Uh, this year, thankfully, was quite different. Minari star Steven Yun became the first Asian, Ameri- Asian American ever nominated for Best Actor. Um, in the same category, Sound of Metal star Riz Ahmed became the first person of Pakistani descent ever to be nominated for any acting Oscar. And Yun's Minari co-star Yu Jun Yoon, a supporting actress nominee, is the first Korean person ever nominated for an acting Oscar. So... So, Troy, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I remember a couple of years ago, there was this big tr- uh, trending t- uh, thing on Twitter. It was talking about Oscars so white. Does the, do you feel like, you know, the problem is solved now? Yeah, I think I think the problem is solved. You know, even if they got to make sure some, you know, black people get nominated just because of that or make sure women get nominated just because of that, I think they're going to make sure they don't do that no more in terms of, nominating all white males and stuff like that for these Oscars just so they won't have to deal with that controversy anymore. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, I don't, I don't want it to be like representation for representation sake. You know, I, I at least from, from what I'm seeing from all the buzz that I've been, you know, re- re- seeing about reading about, cause like a majority of these things I haven't seen, like, you know, I've seen very few of these movies, but a lot of the buzz, a lot of the talk does seem to warrant their nominations. Like people are buzzing because, you know, 
because everyone's talking about how good they are. So I'm glad that at least from what I can tell, at least these these things are not they're not shoehorned. They feel warranted. So yeah. I'll I'll say that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Chloe Zhao, she won for Best Director at the Golden Globes and stuff like that, and it was an, a huge achievement, you know? So uh, I think that um, it's really awesome that, you know, these things are these things are happening, and hopefully um, with the diversification of the panel, because also in the back end, the panel got, like, diversified, and there's more voices being heard, so things can, you know, even out on the playing field. So I just, I don't want it to be a quota, you know? I mean, I want it to be, like, quality. So yeah. uh, for just from my uh, bird's eye view, it does seem like it's quality of speaking, so that's that's good. Um, it also helps that, you know, more more and more uh, people are, are able to produce movies and stuff like that. Like, the, there's less gatekeeping, so you can actually, you know, have more voices heard and stuff. Like, more indie movies can, like, Minari can be made and stuff like that and be Korean and not, you know, and not in English and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, that being said, uh, I actually have a, a quick little pull up here. This comes from Variety. The Razzie Awards uh, 2021, Robert D uh, Danny Jr., Adam Sandler, and Hathaway are among the nominees. Now, the Razzie Awards is a joke. It's not a real, like, uh, award ceremony, but it's basically, like, they always uh, announce their stuff uh, before, and they always do the ceremony before the Oscars. It's about celebrating the worst pictures and stuff like that, the worst movies and the worst acting and stuff like that. And, like, one time like uh one time uh, Sandra Bullock she actually showed up in person to accept her Razzie for her win for like you know all about Steve and that was the same year that she also did the blind side when she won for the blind side so I think that was kind of funny so I just wanted to go ahead and read the the quick the the quick categories for the worst uh, stuff just and see what you see what you think uh the worst picture 365 days absolute proof do little Fantasy Island and Music are all nominated for Worst Picture. Now, I got to say, Music was nominated for Best Picture, like Musical or Comedy, in the Golden Globes. So I think that's really funny that it's nominated for a Best Picture and a Worst Picture. That's kind of well, I interesting because that never happens. Yeah, I mean, I, like I be trying to say, the Golden Globes is trash. They're a joke. <laughs> they don't... I, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people from the Golden Globes didn't even watch these movies. I'm be honest with you. Like it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I I really can't comment on them because I haven't seen any of those movies that you named. So I'm sure all of them deserve the Razzie, but <laughs> I can't I can't bash them. That wouldn't be right because I I didn't get to see any of those. So I, I I have not heard anything bad about Fantasy Island. I've seen the trailer and stuff like that, and I didn't think it was. From what I can tell, I didn't think it was like going to be one of the worst movies of the year kind of thing. But, you know, OK, uh, I heard a lot of trash, a lot of bashing about Doolittle as well. So for the worst actor category, Robert Downey Jr. is nominated, nominated for Doolittle. Mike Lindell is nominated for Absolute Proof. M Michelle Moron, Mor Mor Moron uh, is nominated for 365, uh, 365 Days. And Adam Sandler is uh, nominated for Hubie Halloween. And David Spade is nominated for The Wrong Missy for Worst Actress. Anne Hathaway is nominated for two movies, The Last Thing He Wanted and The Witches. Katie Holmes is also nominated for two movies, Brahms The Boy 2 and The Secret Dare to Dream. Kate Hudson is nominated for music. And I'm pretty sure Kate Hudson was nominated for Best Supporting Actress or something like that in the Golden Globes, but whatever, for the same movie. Uh, Lawrence Lup uh, Lup Lupkis was nominated for The Wrong Missy. Anna Maria Ciclo... Uh, Ciclu ah, Siekluka. I'm pretty sure I got that right. Uh, 365 days. Uh, worst supporting actress. 
Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. That's crazy. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in, in the Golden Globes. Lucy Hale for Fantasy Island. Maggie Q for Fantasy Island. Kristen Wiig for Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> hey, I ain't gonna lie, bro. I kind of agree with that one. I ain't gonna even lie, man. <laughs> I hope she wins. Uh, Maddie Ziegler <laughs> for music. <laughs> Worst supporting actor, Chevy Chase in The Very Excellent Mr. Dundee. Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani for Borat's subsequent movie film. <laughs> he wasn't even playing an actor. He was, uh, he was, he was being filmed, uh, you know, That's just secretly. fucked up. They're just being right. assholes now. <laughs> uh, Shia LaBeouf for The Tax Collector. Arnold Schwarzenegger for Iron Mask, Bruce Willis for three movies, Breach, Hard Kill, <laughs> and Survive the Night. <laughs> uh, worst screen combo, Maria Bakalova and Rudy Giuliani, Borat's subsequent movie film, Robert Downey Jr. and his utterly unconv- unconvincing Welsh accent, Doolittle. Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford, and that totally fake-looking CGI dog, Call of the Wild. Now I gotta disagree with that. I saw Call of the Wild in theaters. I think that's a good movie. It's just that CGI dog was atrocious. <laughs> Lauren Lupkus and David Spade in The Wrong Missy. Adam Sandler and his grating simpleton voice, Hubie Halloween. Worst director, Charles Band for all three Barbie and Kendra movies, Barbara Biotlogos and Thomas Mendez for 365 Days, Stephen Gaughan in Doolittle, Ron Howard for Hillbilly Elegy, Sia, musician superstar Sia for music. So, yeah, let's go ahead and stop right there and stuff. I, this is kind of fun, and uh, I'm just surprised that there's a lot of, like, uh, overlap between, like, worst actor and stuff like that and best actor. You know, usually these things would be completely, like, you know, there should be no overlap in theory. If somebody's being honored for best in a category, yeah. they shouldn't also be nominated for the worst in a category either. So yeah, I just think it's Golden Globes, I honestly think. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and go back to the Oscars here. So let's go ahead and do our, our predictions and stuff like that. I have here a total of seven categories, and they're like the bigger categories. Um, they're not like... You know, they're, I'm not gonna. I don't want to go technical. You know, I don't want to do like best cinematography or best editing or best special effects. You know, because we'd be. This is already. The show is already going on pretty long, anyways. But also, I just kind of want to stick to like the, the categories that people talk about, anyways, just like everyone else. So, uh, let's go ahead and start off with the uh, nominations for the best best director. The nominees are Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, David Fincher for Mank. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Now, uh, uh, Troy, I hope you have the categories in front of you. Uh, so do you, do you know who you're going to pick or who you want to go for? Well, see, I, I, I personally enjoy Mank the best. I, I think that movie is a masterpiece. But I think Judas and the Black Messiah is going to win Best Picture. No, no, I got best director in front of me. Oh, you, oh, you doing best director? Okay, uh, yeah, for best director, hold on, oh man, I, well, the director for Judas and the Black Messiah, I think that director is gonna get the best because I don't see it on the what the hell. He's not nominated for best director this year. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit. So, okay, if you if you have like the, the okay, okay, the, I got it, I got it in front of me. All right, oh, cool, this cool, is cool. tough, man. So. 
I'm gonna go, I guess I'll go ahead and go first while you decide here. I'm, I am all aboard the Chloe Zhao hype train. I am hoping that she oh, has a Oh, shoot. Yes, I, I, we got, we, yeah, yeah. I, I think she's going to win it. She's going to win okay. it. She's getting some crazy buzz. And I heard that she did the best Marvel movie of all time. Like, literally. Like, from what I've heard, because she directed one of the upcoming Marvel movies. And I heard she did, like, the greatest Marvel movie of all time. And I heard. Uh, the Eternals. The Eternals, yes, yes. And, yeah. The buzz is that it's literally the best one. Like this may be the best comic book movie of ever of all time. And then the, her movie No Man Land is getting No Mad Land is getting crazy buzz. And uh, yeah, I think I think she gonna get the the victory. And for a woman to win Best Director, it hasn't happened in like ten years now, or a little over ten years. I want to say it was uh it was for the Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker, uh, yeah, yeah. What was her name? I forgot. It was she was the former. Uh, wife of uh, of James Cameron. I can't remember her name. Yeah, I, um, I can't remember uh, her name either. Yeah, but she won that year. I think that might have been the last time a woman won. So I think yeah, we we both on the same on that one. Yeah, I think that uh, Chloe Zhao. She's got like so much buzz writing around her and stuff like that. She's got so many awards already, like you know, on her mantle already. I think they're gonna want to continue suit. Now, I I will say that. The the Oscars are not till another month from now. They're at their end of April. That's a little over a month away. I am genuinely hoping that she has not peaked too early because that happens a lot where people are riding the coattails and like everyone's like talking about them but then like the the conversation the water cooler talks goes away and then somebody else peaks at the right time and stuff like that and they got all the buzz uh so i'm i'm just gonna hold that i'm just gonna say that i'm my my genuine expectation is that chloe's out she's you know here to stay from from a from a buzz perspective uh the next category uh so you might have to do some scrolling is going to be the animated feature film this is the category that I wanted to put on there because it's a layup. I want to say that this is the free point. There's only seven points up for grabs, and I want to give myself, guarantee myself one point. So for the, the, nominee, the nominees for animated feature film are Onward, Over the Moon, A Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolf Walkers. So obviously, uh, I'm going with Soul. Know, Soul, yeah, Golden Globes uh, already called it, so Soul is going to be the best animated movie of the year. That should be no surprise. All right, next up, we're going to do the acting categories. So let's start off with the supporting roles. Actress in a supporting role, Maria Bakalova, Borat subsequent movie film. She was just nominated for a Razzie. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Glenn Close, Hillbilly, Hillbilly Elegy, also nominated for a Razzie. Olivia Coleman, the father, Amanda Seyfried in Mank, and Yun Yu Jing Jung Minari. Go ahead and go first on this one. I'm gonna go with Amanda Seyfried and Mank. God, oh my God, yeah, that was the one I was thinking too as well. Uh, I feel like between what you were talking about last week about how uh, awesome Mank is and stuff like that, the fact that it's got ten nominees under its belt, there's a lot of buzz going into it. I feel like Amanda Seyfried might win the Oscar this year. So yeah. yeah. I'm going with that one as well. All right. The actor in a supporting role, Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trials of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami, uh, Paul Ratchi for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Obviously, I think we're going to be in, uh, in unison on this one. I'm giving it to Daniel Kaluuya. 
I'm going with Paul and Psych. I'm going with Daniel Kalula. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dang, you almost got me there. <laughs> yeah. So far, by the way, we have uh, for the first four categories, we have been in unison. So yeah. let's see. We might we might tie after all is said and done if we're if we're always in unison. <laughs> uh, actor in a leading role: Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, Stephen Yun for Minari. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. I'll start this one off. If, if it wasn't for the fact that Chadwick Boseman is going to win this uh, category automatically, I wanted to say Gary Oldman should have won, but what do you think? Yeah, uh, I 100% agree. I think Chadwick Boseman is going to win, but I think Gary Oldman, since... Um, uh, I think Gary Oldman should take the victory, but you know I think Chadwick Boseman's gonna get it because he passed and he's an all-time great, so they wanna wanna honor him in that way. Yeah, uh, actress in a leading role: Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day, The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. This one is a little bit, this is the only one where I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer or who I'm going to pick already. Uh, but given that Andrew Day won for uh, the United States versus Billie Holiday for the Golden Globes, I'm just going to use the Golden Globes as, the, as my deciding factor, and I'm going to pick that one. What do you got, Troy? Um, this one's tough. Let me see. Oh, man, I don't know. I honestly don't know this one. Uh... I'm going to just guess. I'm going to say Frances McDormand. Okay. That's the one. This is going to be the one category that it's, or maybe the two, uh, one of two categories. We don't know about best picture yet, but this could be the category that decides whether or not we, who wins the, 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 the guessing game. So uh, we'll go with that. And lastly, before we, uh, before we move on to best picture and our guesses and stuff like that, um, overall, having seen like the slate of films of, of uh, uh, the slate of films that have been nominated. Um, do you think that, uh, t- you know, 2020, the year in film in 2020, when it comes to the Oscars, do you, we, we were talking about, uh, my, my, by the way, my prediction earlier this year, we did a prediction special. I said that, that the Oscars was, was going to get canceled. Get canceled. Uh, so that's obviously not happening now. So that my, my prediction was wrong. So, uh, we, when we were talking about the Oscars, we were talking about how it's going to be a caveat, you know. Oh, you won the Oscar, but you won for you, you won for 2020, and that was a, uh, a a waste of a year or a, a non-starter. There was no competition. Do you still feel that way, or do you feel like the competition is just as vibrant as any other year, or just as stacked? No, I, I still feel that way because listen, like it's so many movies that has been pushed back. It's so many movies that were. A, you know, plan to come out. And also, you know, like with the whole streaming service thing, it really messed up a lot of movies that like, it's so many movies that I usually wouldn't know about that. I didn't even know existed. Cause it was like, just drop it on the streaming service. And it's also not fair because if you're going to do streaming service movies, it's thousands of movies on streaming services. Like you should be able to nominate. It's probably who, who tell it's probably the greatest movies of all time on one of these streaming services. And we just don't even know about it. You know what I mean? So I just, I think they should have combined the two. I still think that way. Wow. I'm, I'm surprised they think that because pro- like some of these categories, we were like a little like, uh, I don't know, like it could go either way and stuff like that. And, um, 
I feel like the Golden Globes has probably like made it things a little bit more clear who's who's in the lead. But before the Golden Globes, like I was like completely like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, it's just this is tough, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to try to watch most as many of these movies as I can, because the majority of these movies, first off, they debuted on streaming services. You can actually watch them and stuff. You can go to Hulu. You can go to Prime. You know, you can watch all these movies and stuff like that. So I might be giving you impressions about a bunch of these movies and stuff. And, uh, you know, hopefully this makes the, the race a little bit more, uh, you know, tougher for me because now I'll be rooting for everything kind of thing. So uh, me personally, I feel like uh, um, just based off of, you know, you know, Oscar movies tends to not be like, you know, blockbuster movies anyways. So it doesn't matter if, you know, they're they need they don't need to be delayed to next summer because they need that opening weekend numbers you know what i mean so i feel like you know when it comes to dramas and stuff like that that tend to get nominated you don't have to worry about you know releasing in a you know in a depressed box office kind of sort of so to speak because a bunch of them even debuted on streaming services anyways so for me personally i think it's just a, it's just a tough year and if you win the, if chloe Zhao wins the trophy or whatever it's not going to be oh she won on an easy year you know that kind of thing me personally so yeah Anyways, I guess I'll just get I'll get off my uh, my high horse here and just continue on by saying uh, the nominees for the best picture. There are a total of eight nominees. Uh, number one is the father. Then it was Judas and the Black Messiah. Then Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and the Trials of the Chicago Seven. So yeah, out of a possible 10 nominations, they nominated eight, and Soul was not one of them, so that kind of sucks. Um, so with all that being said, uh, you, you told me, you said what you, uh, what you were thinking already. Go ahead and say it again. Yeah, I think uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is going to win Best Picture. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it was a really good movie, I'm not going to lie. Um, I... I I will say that I don't feel like the conversation hasn't been like skewing towards Judas and the Black Messiah from a pure hype perspective. Uh, so just from like uh, from the outside looking in, having not seen either of these two movies, it feels like to me that the two movies that are in the it's a two horse race, generally speaking, when it comes to nominations for Best Picture, it feels like the two movies that are in, for in contentions seem to be Mank and Nomadland. So generally speaking, um, the Oscars tend to uh, be in unison for Best Picture and Best Director in the same category. You know, like they tend to win this together. Uh, very rarely do they split the difference, and they only split the difference if, like, if there's a situation where there's two movies are both really, really good, and they don't know how to how to decide, so they'll just split it that way. They did that with like Crash and Brokeback Mountain one year and stuff like that. So me personally. I don't know if they're going to split it and go with Mank or if they're going to conti uh, continue on with Nomadland. So if I'm going to be a betting man, I'm going to uh, give it to Nomadland and just hope that they are going to be in unison with each other. Um, and if they split the difference, I'll at least get one of the points. So that's my uh, that's my guess. So yeah, we got so we got two categories where we don't agree with each other. So that's good. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, those are the that's the Oscars in a nutshell, and uh, we'll uh, we'll check back in here whenever the Oscars happen, and uh, in the meantime, yeah, can't wait to see our, our if our predictions are right or wrong. Can't wait to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the meantime, let's go ahead and just relax a bit and Netflix and chill. All right. So for Netflix and chill, I gotta say, uh, 
the number one film on Netflix is Yes Day. And you were talking so much shit about Yes Day last week when we were like, man, this synopsis is trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was kind of funny. Um, yeah, so the the, the family uh, feel good movie. It's with Jennifer Garner. It's yesterday. Is the number one on the chart, followed by Ginny and Georgia, and then the one at number three. Last Chance You basketball at number four. Parker at number five. Marriage or Mortgage is number six. Coco Melon at number seven. I Carly at number eight. Paradise PD at number nine, and Behind Her Eyes at number ten. So I'm not going to lie. I have not seen a single thing on this Netflix chart. And um, most of these stuffs are tends to be newer stuff anyways. Uh, so I really, I don't really have anything to say about the Netflix chart. Do you, Troy? Well, I, yeah, I haven't seen a single thing either. But uh, it doesn't surprise me that Yes Day is number one because, you know, even though the synopsis sound trash, the trailer sounds like, it, it, I mean, the trailer looks like a good family movie. So... You know, on a Sunday, I could see, you know, family sitting down and saying, oh, I want to watch, you know, a movie about Some kids. Together, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that to me, it doesn't surprise me that that's number one. And then the fact that I can't even recall even hearing about any of these other ones. It makes sense that yesterday is like the only one that got some buzz to have a number one spot. Yeah, plus it's a Netflix original or whatever, so Netflix is going to use their algorithms to put that in front of you, like to push it like as a featured or whatever section. So I'm pretty sure people are going to click on it because you know it's the new it's the new item on the on the on the on the menu kind of thing. So yeah. Um, no, so here I got some bad news for you, Troy. The iTunes charts. Number one is Crisis, which is up from number two last week, and so dropping from number one is uh, Monster Hunter, is an, is now at number two. Then it's Cosmic Sin at number three. And number four is The Crudes, A New Age, followed by Greenland at number five. Damn, not Tenet. (laughs) I know, right? I know. It gets worse. Dark Web, Cicada 3301 at number six. Uh, Girl, the 2020 film at number seven. This is 40 at number eight. Then Tenet at number nine. Detroit, Tenet almost got pushed out of the top ten entirely. And it was just at number five last week. Hey, so, like, hey, that's that's that's. It wouldn't surprise me if ten is back at number five next week. Let's keep <laughs> it pushing. But hey, it's still in the top ten, which is still impressive in itself. But it also is good news because it's showing that you know it's some stuff on on iTunes to watch. You know, I don't think I don't think it's good news for iTunes each week to have ten it right there at number five. That just shows that ain't a lot of stuff on there to watch but if you look at this you got monster hunter that's of course been on there for a while but you know this is 40 that's a good comedy you know what i mean that's that unofficial sequel to knocked up yeah dark web greenland like you got some stuff in there that's like you know that you know that shows that itunes has a little bit of content you know what i mean but with tenant number five that's showing ain't shit on there to watch anyway yeah, everyone's watching the same thing over and over again kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Uh, and number 10 is News of the World. It's back in the top 10. So, yeah, um, the, the the iTunes charts, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a good, like, barometer because, you know, people are paying money on a week-to-week basis and stuff, and it, and it shows what stays popular and stuff like that. You know, I mean... You know, Tenet had a good run. It's been it's been on demand for a really long time, and it's still pulling in numbers. So, uh, yeah, if if it leaves the top ten next week, I wouldn't be surprised. But you know, hey, 
It, it has to happen at some point. You know, Tenet has stayed in the top 10 um, weeks after like stuff like Wonder Woman left the top 10 and everything like that. So, you know, newer movies that came out after Tenet has already left the, the top 10 in iTunes. So that's good. That's, it's a good run. Uh, next up is going to be the Amazon Prime uh, uh, charts here. So at number one is The Mauritanian. At number two is Land. At number three is Minari. Number four is The Crudes, A New Age, the, the regular HD version of the movie. And number five is Monster Hunter in 4K. Number six is Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. And number seven is Monster Hunter, the regular HD version. Greenland at number five. Wonder Woman 1984 at number nine. And at number 10 is The Crudes, A New Age, the 4K version. So I just thought that's really interesting that when it comes to like a family animated movie, families might want to go with the cheaper option and buy like the crudes like at regular HD. But when it comes to like an action like blockbuster movie and I'm guessing it skews to an older audience, like a millennial like 20 something audience, yeah. they're going to want to splurge on that 4K treatment. And I think it's kind of funny that, you know, the the demographics show like, you know, which which version of the movie is going to get rented more. So that's kind of yeah. funny. Do you have anything to say about the Amazon video? Uh, uh, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. All right. So my recommendation for this week is going to be something that you can find on Amazon Prime. It's a it's a little talked about movie from back in the day. It came out in uh, September of I want to say 2010. Uh, let's say September of 2011. So the movie is called Warrior, and it stars uh, Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. And mm. nobody really talks about this movie. Like it's enough. Like, yeah. It's a it's a phenomenal film. Check this out. The movie only made $23 million in the worldwide box office. Damn. Like, com- like all together. Like, and that's before that- Hardy became, like, uh, Tom Hardy. A-listy. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, no, because didn't Tom Hardy, like, by the by 2011, wait, hold on. Dark Knight came out in, Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012. 2012. Yeah, so Damn. he wasn't even known as Bane yet, so... I mean, like he didn't. I mean, he didn't get to play Bane yet. I think if he would have played Bane first, I think because Bane, I think, is what set off his career. You know, I think after he played Bane, people start knowing who he is. But before that, and then Joel Edgerton, no one still don't know who he is like that unless you are a a good movie fan. You know, so yeah, yeah, that's like really good talent. You know, Joel Edgerton, he's no he's no slouch. You know, no, he's, he's no slouch. He's a he's a great actor, and he directed a movie that I truly enjoyed as well so he kind of got some talent as well on behind the chair yeah so the movie stars uh, joel edgerton and tom hardy as uh, as brothers and they're at the movies the movie's plot re- revolves around them going into mma fighting to like to pay some bills and stuff they both each have independent uh uh you know motivations and desires to be like to, to take the, the crown because they're both fighting for something different right? and so when it came to the final like championship bout i'm just gonna give a little spoiler it came to the final championship bout you know, the two brothers are pitted against each other and only one of them can win the money that they need to pay the bills or they need to pay or whatever. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, I don't know who to root for. Like they both are like, they were both well-written characters and stuff like that. And it's so like heart crushing and just like just to watch that movie. It was so intense. It was so good. And the fact that the movie made like what, a $14 million in the US and stuff. And like the fact that nobody watched it and nobody, like, damn, like, if you have an Amazon Prime membership, go watch Warrior. It is a good recommendation. Uh, yeah, you will you'll love the movie. It's a good movie. So, yeah, that's all I got to say. Yeah, uh, I agree. That's a good movie. With um, with me, I'm going with a Netflix, a movie that's on Netflix right now. Um, it's a Spielberg movie, the BFG. Um, it came out 
what like 2016 i believe and um it's a little kids movie but i think that's what makes spielberg so great and the only reason i want to talk about this movie because we've been talking about spielberg lately and i do feel like he's one of the greats that don't get quite enough credit in terms of being the like a great filmmaker not just a big blockbuster big name inspirational guy but an actual good filmmaker and the way he can do kid movies as well just as good as he can do you know serious movies or blockbuster movies it just it's just his range is this why i wanted to talk about that you know so don't be surprised if i say another spielberg movie that is you know dark and gritty you know what i mean um so like in another week i could bring up another but i just wanted to bring up a kid children's movie just to show that you know like it's, it's basically about you know um someone that's is bfg stands for the big friendly giant and it's about you know uh one, a little girl that becomes friends with a big giant that she should be afraid of and just how that dynamic could happen and it's basically about like not judging someone based off the way they look it's just a big metaphor for that and i just think it's a good little you know heartwarming story that doesn't get enough credit like some of his other classics do like you know jurassic park and all his other amazing movies he's done mm. so yeah bfg okay all right that's a good one all right i haven't I, i've seen the trailer for it. i never watched it but i'm glad it's on netflix i can just watch it you know at my convenience so all right let's go ahead and move on to the new releases let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat troy we got ourselves a treat i just gotta say that for the new releases oh my god it's just it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet here I'm, i gotta say that first off i gotta give myself kudos because there's nothing old from last week that i didn't miss so that's i feel good because i've been missing a lot <laughs> so all of these stuff are all brand new releases they're all coming to theaters and streaming services and stuff like that and uh <laughs> um i i just gotta say pick of the week is gonna be a little hard for me this week and i'm uh let's go ahead and start off with the first thing Zack Snyder's Justice League debuts on March 18th on HBO Max. Woo. Uh, the the synopsis. By the way, I, re- I pulled the synopsis directly from the new. The synopsis reads exactly like the old, the the original theatrical cut. By the way, anyways, fueled by his restored faith in humanity and inspired by Superman's selfless act, Bruce Wayne enlists newfound ally Diana Prince to face an even greater threat. Together, Batman and Wonder Woman work quickly to recruit a team to stand against this newly awakened enemy. Despite the formation of an unprecedented league of heroes, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash, it may be too late to save the planet from an assault of catastrophic proportions. The film stars, and by the way, this cast list, just damn. The film stars Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, Willem Dafoe, Jesse Eisenberg, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, Connie Nielsen, J.K. Simmons, Amber Heard, Harry Lennox, Jared Leto, and Joe Manganiello. Like, damn. Damn, Damn, they put together a super squad. They put together the Justice League of Actors. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, the next up is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It comes out on March 19th on Disney+. Plus. After being uh, handed the mantle of Captain America at the end of the Avengers, at the end of Avengers Endgame, Sam Wilson ta- uh, teams up with Bucky Barnes in a worldwide adventure that puts their abilities to the test as they fight the anti-patriotism group, the Flag Smashers. 
The show stars Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan as Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes from the film series with Wyatt Russell, Emily Van Camp, and Daniel Bruhl also starring. The next two things are things that are going to be only in theaters. First off is The Courier. It comes out on March 19th. The Courier is a true-life spy thriller, the story of an unassuming British businessman, uh, Greville Wynn, uh, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, recruited into one of the greatest international conflicts in history at the behest of the UK's MI6 and a CIA operative, Rachel uh, Brosen. Brozen Han. Uh, he, con- he forms a covert, dangerous partnership with Soviet officer Oleg Penkovsky, uh, played by Mirab Neridzi, in an effort to provide crucial intelligence needed to prevent a nuclear confrontation and defuse the Cuban Missile Crisis. The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch alongside Rachel Brosnahan, Broz- uh, Jesse Buckley, Mirab Neridzi, and Angus Wright. Ooh, uh, I can't I can't read today. So and the last one is City of Lies It comes out in theaters. And uh, apparently this movie was supposed to come out in 2018. And there was some legal troubles that you know, that prevented the movie from happening. You know, Johnny Depp, he got into some controversy and stuff like that. So. All right, here we go. Los Angeles Police Department detective Russell Poole has spent years trying to solve his biggest case, the murders of notorious B.I.G. and Tupac Shakur. But after two decades, the investigation remains open. Jack Jackson, a reporter desperate to save his reputation and career, is determined to find out why. In the search of the truth, the two team up and unravel a growing web of institutional corruption and lies. The film stars Johnny Depp as retired detective LAPD Russell Poole and Forrest Whitaker as journalist Jack Jackson with Rockman Dunbar, Neil Brown Jr. and Xander Berkeley also starring. So, Troy, we got ourselves a lot of uh, of stuff here to pick from. What's your pick of the week? Uh, City of Lies, because... No, Whoa. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Justice <laughs> I was like, League. Damn. Uh, Justice League. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm looking forward to City of Lies. I've been looking for that, look forward to that movie for about four years now. And I never knew what happened to it. So, it's good <laughs> that that's finally getting a date. Uh, but, you know, of course, it's Justice League for me. Uh, it's Justice League. I've been excited for this movie when they announced it because i never thought we'll get the snyder cut version of this movie so it's cool to see like a movie actually getting done the way it's supposed to after the studio fucked it up and um and whedon as well messed it up so i that's why i'm going with the snyder cut but also man like the trailers have been blowing me away and it's getting good reviews it's getting yeah. good re- like usually that that doesn't happen a lot with with Snyder movies and at least with the <laughs> DCEU and this is actually getting good reviews so i'm excited 4 hours yeah. i'm ready yeah yeah um i'm actually going to make my, the pick of the week be the falcon and the winter soldier uh, and here and hear me out here um as much as i want to watch the 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 Snyder cut like a part of me almost um you know I, I, a part of me doesn't want to get too invested in it because it's essentially a dead franchise. It feels like they're just making an alternate timeline of a version of events for sequels that will never happen because apparently uh, even the reviews say that the movie ends on a cliffhanger. That cliffhanger will never be uh, resolved because, you know, they're, you know, Warner Brothers and DC, they're not going to continue making these movies with, you know, with Zack Snyder's, you know, vision in mind. So I, a part of me doesn't, I want to like sort of disassociate from myself because I'll never see, 
you know, what happens next and stuff like that. And apparently, you know, Zack Snyder has already put out storyboards of like, you know, here's what we would have done. And he's been like public about like, here's my plan. Here's what were my plans for the future movies. And I think that's really great. And I think they, they you know, they can even use those panels for comics and stuff like that and make like a, a comics run of, you know, what would have happened next. Well, let uh, me let me uh, respond to that real quick. Okay. Two, two quick things. Um, number one, this can fuel and like, you know, get the 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 Snyder verse up and going again. Like if a lot of if this is a huge hit and millions of people are watching it and it's seemingly like a huge hit, you know, this can make Warner Brothers say, OK, maybe we should let this guy continue his vision and, and let people see what happens next, because this is amazing and everybody seeming to like it and look like where it's going. And it doesn't seem like Warner Brothers have a plan in terms of their Justice League stuff. They don't have a plan anyway. So if you have a buzz and you kind of have a spark for people to be excited about, this might be something that, hey, I mean, we didn't even think the Snyder Cut would ever happen. And look, it's happening. So it's not uh, impossible for a sequel to get announced with Zack Snyder directing. That's number one. And number two, I think it, it, you know, was one of the bigger problems that we have with um, not just superhero movies, but with movies in general is like everyone watches a superhero movie for the next movie instead of watching the movie for the movie. You know what I mean? It's like because of this whole, you know, shared universe stuff, which is I love a lot more people be excited about how this movie is setting up the next movie or setting up the universe more than just watching it for the value of the the movie itself and i think that's a huge problem because not all movies should be having to set up other movies or or you know be a part of some bigger universe you could just, just be able to watch the movie for what it is and even if they don't do it like we got to see what like a what if it's just like a what if comic like what would have happened if snyder would have you know went on with his vision so yeah that's yeah. all okay fair enough uh so yeah my pick of the week is going to be the falcon and the winter soldier um, apparently it's going to be longer. Like, uh, the, uh, WandaVision tends to average about 30 minutes. I've been hearing that the, uh, the average seems to be about 45 minutes. Uh, there's already been critics who've already seen the first episode already and they've been giving glowing reviews. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Of course, I'm going to be watching both of these things anyways, but my pick of the week is, uh, the Falcon and the Winter I'm Soldier. Ex- I'm super excited about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm not going to lie. This is probably out of the ones they the recent ones they announced in terms of Loki and um WandaVision I think this one was I had at the bottom but I'm Whoa. still I'm still excited cuz this this one seems like it's going to have the most action the reason why I had this one at the bottom because this one seems like the most like a typical Marvel type of and content. that's the reason why I put it at the top because right. I, I felt like I felt like this was like the Winter Soldier, like Captain America, right? Winter Soldier, and, like, I, all and, over and again. that's cool, and that's cool. But I just, you know, when the fact that Marvel has done so many movies, it get to a point where they either have to start doing stuff different, or it's gonna start to feel repetitive, or feel kind of like like I've seen this kind of thing before. And with WandaVision they did that they did something new and different and refreshing and it seems like they're doing that with loki and they seem like they're doing that with some of their upcoming movies um that but that they have announced feeling like it's a little pain by numbersy kind of thing yeah exactly so mm. the winter soldier is just one that's kind of seemed like it's fall in line with the, s- the same stuff we've seen a bunch of action and stuff like that comedy and you know sprinkled in there and whatever with characters we've seen before <laughs> but that being said 
that doesn't mean I think it's going to be bad. And that doesn't mean I'm not excited for it because Marvel is Marvel. Like, let's be real. And uh, I'm a big fan of these two characters. So, yeah, I think I'm excited for that one as well. Yeah, the Falcon when, and Winter Soldier. Well. When Disney Plus was first announced and they had like, all this slate and stuff and those three, the threes were, were announced was Loki, Falcon, and uh, and WandaVision. I actually had uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier at the top of my most anticipated list of those three because it was, you know, what I – Cause I, because I knew, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I think, I think a lot of people, you're not the only one. A lot of people are going to gravitate for, to what they're used to and like what's going to seem like badass, you know, instead of something yeah. more different and unique. Cause actually when, you know, WandaVision came out, the trailer came out for that, people was like, eh, I don't know about this shit. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like when you, anytime you do something new, it's going to kind of be like, eh, I don't know at first. And then what you're used to is going to be like, oh, hell yeah, I can't wait for that, you know. But I'm yeah. kind of like the opposite. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, and uh, and finish out here with, uh, with sharing the love. Troy, I hope you have a really good story behind the movie that you picked here for for sharing the love. Because, like, when I think of sharing the love, I think of stuff like you know movies that you grew up with, you know, like a childhood story. So this one's a little bit recent for me. I was an adult when this movie came out. So what you got for me? Well, see, um, I'm rolling. With, I'm doing Man of Steel um, only specifically because the Snyder Cut is coming out, and um, and two big reasons why I chose Man of Steel. Um, reason number one why I chose it because I honestly feel like it's a, a vastly underrated movie. Like, and I think at the time when it came out, it was so different from what people were used to at that time. At least for Superman, that it rugged people the wrong way. It's like you know, you Superman is the most iconic superhero of all time. It's like you just you have a preconceived notion of what you think that character should be so once he was a little different a lot of people i think had a problem with it but a lot of people i you know feel like warmed up to it and over time they didn't like it but i know a lot of people are like i remember not liking it but i like man of steel you know i think the love for it have kind of grown over the years especially with some of the garbage movies that came out after it <laughs> they seen the quality in man of steel so i think it's just underrated i i really do love it and and actually we see that with henry cavill right like it's so many people that want Henry Cavill to get his Man of Steel sequel or get, you know, Man of Steel, him recast as Superman from future movies and stuff like that. But that wasn't the talk when Man of Steel first came out. So I think that the, the love of him as Superman kind of shows that this movie is, you know, more beloved than people thought originally thought. And it made a good money at the box office as well. So that's the number one reason why I chose it. But Number two reason why I chose it is because I'm I've actually been a person that's kind of been disappointed in the DCEU. Um but I felt like Man of Steel was such a good start for me in the tone and the way that movie was going. I just felt this universe was gonna be so rich and gonna be so grounded and you know, to get Suicide Squad after that and Batman v Superman after that, you know getting some of these movies it kind of disappointed me really you know after i felt like man of steel started so strong and i just felt like the justice league snyder cut movie is almost a way of of kind of honoring man what man of steel was like what you know it's kind of showing the love for the universe even though they dropped the ball on several occasions it's almost like the snyder cut is saying look you know 
this is what it could have been. This is what Man of Steel was meant to be. This was my overall plan for Man of Steel. Let's pretend, not not pretend that Batman v Superman and Super Squad never happened, but let's you know just celebrate these characters the way they, that I tr- attended for them to be celebrated when I first made Man of Steel. So I just you know this is really usually I'm not gonna pick movies that are this recent. It's because Shutter Love is for you know when you, movies you grew up with, but just out of love for the Snyder Cut and love for you know. Uh, me being a huge DC fan, I was always more of a DC fan than a Marvel fan growing up. I just felt like I wanted to honor, you know, Man of Steel, uh, a comic book movie that don't get the love that I think it deserves. And uh, yeah, so that's why I went with the, with the with this pick. Okay, all right. Well, that's that's a good note to end on here. Um, you know, Man of Steel, it's it's got its it's got its like naysayers and stuff like that, but that's not what this segment's about. So we'll go ahead and leave it out out the door here on this one. In the meantime. Uh, let's go ahead and, and call it a show. And uh, now the end is near And so I face the final curtain So it is time to end. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Ready Play Movies. Remember, you can reach the podcast by email at readyplaymovies at gmail.com or simply at readyplaymovies on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Chakalaka88 and Troy at Bracy Troy 58 don't forget to subscribe give us a review tell your friends about the show and all that good stuff see you next week for a very special episode thank you